Welcome to the podcast. I'm Isaac Carroll, and this is What Do I Know? First, let me start out by saying that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this probably isn't the podcast you should start off with. If you're looking to know Jesus, then I would implore you, seek out someone you know of the faith, someone you can tell who's a Christian, and ask them to explain the salvation that we hope for in Jesus Christ. This particular podcast is for people who know Christ. They want to know what the Word says about a very sensitive and highly polarized topic in today's churches. And I have searched my heart, and I went before the Lord in prayer and petition that I claim only His truth and what the Word says, so that truth might set people free. Now, over the course of my research for this subject, I have been quick to judge people's motives when I see they have strayed from the truth. I now see that it is my passion for the truth that has blinded me from having compassion on those who wish to save others. And what I mean is this. When someone goes to Scripture with the intent to find a way to validate someone into salvation that lived contrary to God's plan, it isn't always with the intent to lead people astray. But what they have done is justify sin without repentance and claim it is only in belief that saves us. It is not my desire to cast anyone out or keep anyone from coming to the faith. I have never advocated preaching sin to sinners, but the love of Christ, who has shed his blood to make a way for them to be saved. My purpose here is to direct believers to the word. Once the word has been firmly planted, then the Holy Spirit can lead them to the truth through love and conviction. But how can someone change if we deny the truth or we confuse the truth? When someone comes to know the love of Christ, they have the opportunity to find it in themselves to love Christ back. They do this by following after him. Now, if they find that the path is too hard, or if that asks too much of them, they will turn back and stop following after Christ. They prove that the love of God was never truly in them. And we know this to be true in Scripture. There were those who followed Christ when he was on the earth, but once the path became hard, or they heard things they didn't want to hear, they abandoned Christ and stopped following after him. You can read that in John 6, which ends in verse 66. 1 John 2, starting verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by their departure, they made it clear that none of them belonged to us. 2 Timothy 4, starting at verse 2, says, Preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and encourage with every form of patient instruction. For the time will come when men will no longer tolerate sound doctrine, but with itching ears they will gather around themselves preachers. They will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. So they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. Now I've always believed that this passage of scripture meant that people couldn't stand the truth. So they would find someone who would preach to them things that made their sin okay. I find that things are never quite so simple when it comes to us as a people. What I've learned recently is that it doesn't always start out with the intent to cast out the truth. Sometimes it's their love for others 
that lead some to grab onto anything that will include them into salvation. Knowing that salvation is for everyone who believes. So it is with an open heart and a clear conscience that I approach this subject. It is one that I never thought I would hear myself talk about on the podcast. But due to recent events and the popularity of this subject among our society, I've been led to speak about homosexuality, the LGBTQ movement, and those we know who are a part of this culture. This turned one of my recent Sunday school classes upside down, but in a very good way, I think. It helped open my eyes to why I have always become so heated over this particular subject. Now, the question was asked to kick the whole debate off was this. We know that homosexuality is a sin, but what about those who were born gay? If we say God made them that way, how can we consider it a sin? The Word of God says in Psalms 139.13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isaiah 64.8 reads, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. So God made us all. And if you made them this way, then how can we say it is a sin for them to be the way God made them? To blame God for the sin of the world shouldn't be something new to me. But I couldn't believe how frustrated this made me among believers. We expect that kind of mentality from the world. And wouldn't you know it, it would be my own wife who would ask this question. Now trust me, this isn't the first time me and her have had a discussion over this. But we've never done it openly in public before. I find that saying God made people to be confused and go against the design was sacrilege to me. And it made me very hostile to the very thought, and one I would hotly debate. I consider this to be a gross misrepresentation of God. The class went really well, and a lot of things were said that were really helpful, and we ended the class on a very good note. But it didn't end well with me. I had it in my mind that I was going to go home, I was going to gather all the scriptures together, and I was going to put it into this debate once and for all. Once I got home, me and my wife, we picked up where we left off in class, and I could see that she was getting upset with me. She told me to stop raising my voice, which meant that I had been getting upset with her. It was while I was stating my case for who knows how many times that that still small voice, the one in my mind that I've come to trust, it whispered to me. It said, aren't we all born with a sin nature? And if we are, is that God's fault too? You see, God in his infinite love and wisdom was opening my eyes to something I didn't see about myself. I was being judgmental and I wasn't listening. I was defending God and God didn't need my protection. But I needed to be humble and have compassion. I needed to see the love of others. And this question came to mind was, is a child born with the ability to be selfish? Or is that something that's taught? And we know that the same, we know that the nature of sin is in everyone. And we see that some people are just more prone to violence or more susceptible to addictions in each and every form. Still others, it's greed or the want for more. Yes, we are all born with the sin nature. 
But we find that some people are just weaker in certain areas than others. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, when he was talking about the weaknesses of lust and people getting married or being married, he said, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. And for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you through your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Paul was saying that he didn't feel the need to gratify the flesh in this way. And he wished that all men were like him. But he knew that that was impossible because of the weakness that some people had. So he said that men should have wives and women should have husbands to keep the devil from tempting them because of their lack of self-control. And it doesn't really sound very fair that some shouldn't, have, shouldn't be tempted at all while others struggle greatly with it. But we find that we all have our weaknesses. Paul himself states that he had a thorn in his side, and he pleaded to God to take that thorn from him. But God didn't. So that his weakness, he could be glorified. Now, we don't glorify God by gratifying our weaknesses. No. We glorify God by denying ourselves and overcoming our weaknesses. My wife, as a people-loving Christian, she wants everyone to find a way to salvation. But what she was doing was trying to find a way to condone their sin. Now, trust me, I get that. When a person has an addiction problem, we try to make concessions for them. Because of their addiction, we know that it's eating away at them inside, and they can't help sometimes the way they act. But this actually goes even further than addiction. For with an addict, that person knows that what they're doing is hurting themselves, killing themselves, and it's hurting the ones they love. But it's not this way with homosexuality. They don't see how this hurts anyone. Why can't they just love whoever they want to love? What's so wrong with them being happy? And we try to explain to them that what they are doing goes against God's plan. And God calls that a sin. And then they say, well, I can't help who I love. Or who I'm attracted to. If that's a sin, then I'm already damned, and I might as well be happy while I'm doing it. This has brought a lot of believers to agree and then call into question our understanding of the word. They say, I understand that's what the word says, but I don't agree with it. So that our understanding must be wrong. And then if you bring them scripture that removes any doubt, then they ask this age old question. Then they asked this age-old question, and one I got recently from my wife. Why didn't God just make heaven? Put us all in it with the capacity only to do what is right. Then we wouldn't have to watch and know that people are going to die and go to hell. Why did God make the tree of knowledge? And then put it into a place where we could eat from it and damn ourselves. Why didn't God as a good father put such things out of our reach? How we love to take the easy way out and blame God. Yes, he could have done just that. May I ask you, what kind of a good father would he be if he took all our choices away? Put us in a box and made us mindless robots. Don't we know that it's a good father? A father who loves us, who wants us to grow and to learn that we need interaction and choices. We need problems to solve and obstacles to overcome. We are never greater as a people or as an individual 
And we were, when we are faced with adversity and we do what is just and right by putting people's, by putting other people above ourselves. But you have to have a choice to be able to do that. You think God wanted to send his only son who always obeyed and done what was right to take the punishment for all of us who didn't? Don't you think he would prefer to spare himself that pain? How selfish can we be as a people when we want to blame God for the opportunities that he has given us? I really don't know why he loves us or why he'd want us to be with him. But I can tell you, I'm certainly grateful that he does. I want you to hear me in this. If you don't hear anything else I have to say, hear this. Love without a choice is not love at all. God loves us, and for us to love him in return, there must be a choice. And as a loving God and Father, he has provided us with that choice. And we can't blame God because people will make the wrong one. Let me ask you a question. Why is sexual sin considered one of the worst kind of sins? What does scripture say that we know the mind of God? 1 Corinthians in the 6th chapter says, The body is not intended for sexual immorality, but it's for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. His power, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Or don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man can commit is outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. May I ask you another question? What does abomination mean? It is defined as an offense to God and his character. It is used to define acts that are repugnant and detestable to God. Leviticus 18.22 says, Homosexuality is an abomination to God. But wait. Try reading all of Leviticus 18. The whole chapter. When you do, you will see that God hates every kind of sexual sin that is done outside lawful union of a marriage. And we know what God calls marriage. For how can two become one flesh? By the union of two to make a child who is the offspring of both. And we know that such things are naturally only possible between a man and a woman. But you say that's the Old Testament, Isaac. We don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament church. I can't tell you how much that frustrates me when people say that to me. Do we not know that the New Testament is just an extension of the Old? I mean, they basically testify about each other. The quotes you hear from Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, these were all quotes from the Old Testament. Or don't we know that the prophets and the writers of the Old Testament were speaking words that came from God himself? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. 
Did Paul not say this in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed, useful for instruction, for conviction, and for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work? What scripture do you think Paul was referring to? We know that the New Testament wasn't put together for 40 years after the death of Christ. 40 years. So Paul wasn't referring to the New Testament. He was referring to the Old Testament. He taught and preached from the Old Testament. But I'll be fair. I will recite you from the New Testament. I'll give you a few so we leave no doubt. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For it is God's will that you should obey. For it is God's will that you should be holy. You must abstain from sexual immorality. Each of you must know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. Galatians 5.19 The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy and rage, rivalries, divisions and factions, with envy and drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Do you hear what he said? He said the people who live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, no matter what anyone else told you. Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, the components of your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Let me go even a step further. 1 Corinthians 5, starting verse 9. I wrote you a letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. I was not including the sexual immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, you would actually have to leave this world. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or a verbal abuser, or a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Now what Paul writes here is that those who claim fellowship with Christ, but they live like this, and we can't, we can't associate with them as we do a brother. Now we may come to them and plead our case, testify to them, and ask them to repent, but we can't remain with them. By doing so, we are condoning their actions. Now you might say, Isaac, with all these scriptures, I never really heard the words homosexuality used. I'm glad you asked. Romans 1, starting in verse 26. It says, For this reason God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Even the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Likewise, the men abandoned natural relations with women, and they burned with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. Now, if you read Romans 1, we find that it's the absence of God, the denial of God, that causes this. When we push God out of our lives, this is the state we find ourselves. And it is obvious we as a people that we have pushed God out of our government. 
We have pushed God out of our schools. We have pushed the morals of God out of our country. And when the absence of light is gone, what happens? The darkness fills the void. When we look around, we see all the craziness and we wonder what happened. We have children who have access to all sorts of evil in the palm of their hands at all times. And we wonder at the choices they make. Now I could go on and on and on about the darkness that is flooding this world. How close the coming of Christ is. But I'll save that for another time. Yes, we are all born into sin. The meaning of salvation is that we agree that we are sinners and we repent from our sins. We have gone our own way and now we choose to go the way of Christ. We will put his will before our own. We will choose his love over our own desires. We will accept his truth, and that truth will set us free. As scripture says, who Christ sets free, we'll be free indeed. No longer will we be called alcoholics, murderers, sinners, liars, cheaters, idolaters, addicts, fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, and haters of God's plan. But we will be called children of God. I'm going to end this one here. But before I do, I'd like to say this. God loves you. He truly, truly loves you. And no matter what your sin is or how deep you think you've fallen into it, he is the hope of our salvation. If you truly believe in him and you want to know him, he will come in and he will make all things new. I love you. God bless you until next time. Goodbye.